This is After School on Core 77. I'm Don Lehman. If you take away only one thing from this episode of After School, I want it to be this. If you are going to be in San Francisco this Saturday, June 14th, you have to, have to, have to, have to go to the Women in Industrial Design show. As far as its organizers can tell, and this sounds crazy but true, it's the first show in at least several decades to be dedicated to the work of women industrial designers. It's being held at Astro's Design Studio on 348 6th Street, part of San Francisco's Design Week festivities. It's a one-day-only event running from 6 to 10 p.m. on the night of the 14th. Tickets cost 15 bucks at the door, and they cover hors d'oeuvres, drinks, admission, and the cost of the nonprofit event. The Women in Industrial Design show also happens to be run by today's guest. T. Chang is an industrial designer and the co-founder of Crave, a luxury sex toy company based in San Francisco. We talk about her path to starting Crave, and how she came to organize the Women in Industrial Design show, which, remember, you are going to go see this Saturday night at 6. Stay tuned. A couple shows ago, I was talking with uh, Michael Detuo, who's the head of design at Sound United, and mm-hmm. we brought up that every couple of years, a certain category gets really hot for industrial designers. Mm-hmm. So like at one point, staplers were really hot because uh, <laughs> I don't know if you remember, like Scott Wilson did that one oh, yeah. translucent mm-hmm. swing line and yep. um, mm-hmm. then toothbrushes were a big deal for a little bit. And um, mm-hmm. I think a really big one right now is Bluetooth speakers. I feel like everyone's, uh, yep. everyone's got a Bluetooth speaker in their portfolio. Absolutely. Um, and then the other category we brought up that's kind of having a moment right now is sex toys oh yeah and mm-hmm. there, so yeah there's some pretty big name designers that have kind of found their way to uh designing some sex toys uh metallic Crissette, uh eve bahar eric lee tom dix tom dixon tom dixon mark mm-hmm. newson michael young michael young yeah and that's just a, a few um right mm-hmm. what and you yourself you have designed several sex toys now and why why do you think they've become so interesting for designers to work on um i think they've always been um interesting to designers to work on but unfortunately i think society and you know different cultures have just a stigmatized view about them so you hear about sometimes maybe famous designers designing them but it doesn't really as far as mainstream audience it doesn't really picked up on or talked about like people like us we were in the know about design so that you know we know you know michael young did this tom dixon did that um but for the mainstream audience it's only until i would say in the last five years that um five i would say five seven years that um sex toys have really um become sort of this hot new thing that everyone's starting to go after and a big reason for that is, well, for one, it's about time <laughs> as a woman and also as just, you know, uh, uh, a consumer of just hideously designed products. It, yeah. It's just, it's just uh, you know, such a relief that, okay, finally, um, 
because of a few social cultural events, for example, I mean, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. I don't know if you've heard of the sure. book. Sure. Sure. Okay, everyone. And like, yeah. it's it's hilarious. Like, I was on a plane and like three guys were reading it like right in front of me. And I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, it's a massive phenomenon. So um, this book, I mean, not for it's it's not because it's so, you know, it's not because it's great literature, but because it tapped into a time when I think right now uh, the pulse of women and the society were really now more ready to talk about sexuality than before. And so the book really struck a chord, I think, with an audience. And because of that book, so many more things are starting to come out, talking about BDSM or, you know, some bondage, sex toys, sex, you know, threesomes. I mean, all these complicated things about sex and um, relationships around sex is just starting to bubble up to the top. So now that, you know, if you open up magazine, well, Cosmos always had sex, sex, you know, how to have great sex, how to give great head or how to, you know, all this sex oriented topics. But now if you look at mainstream magazine, um, uh, excuse me, um, publications such as New York Times, uh, New York Times covered our uh, company and our product um, just uh, a couple years ago. Um, it's now you see more talk about sex toys in a lot of mainstream publications. Yeah. So, and then how did you come to designing sex toys? So, uh, I, I'm one of those designers. I, th I think I, I did, I was not born blessed knowing, uh, this is exactly what I want to design. So that was definitely not the case. Sure. So throughout my career, it, I, I put myself in a lot of different situations in terms of um, trying to design different products, uh, working in various capacities as a designer, whether, whether it's freelance, whether it's for a corporate, whether it's for an agency, um, to find out what is it about all those different aspects, what really worked for me personally. And around the time when I was, I, I was 28, you know, going on 30, and I was starting to get this... Um, feeling that I, I, I'm really ready to do something more. Um, I've always worked for companies in the past. Uh, my first job out of school was designing hairbrushes for Goody. Afterwards, I was headhunted to design bicycles for um, truck bikes in Madison, Wisconsin. I knew nothing about bikes, which made me perfect, sort of. <laughs> um, and so through those different types of projects, you know, I learned that I, I really, number one, really enjoyed designing products for women. Um, that was just one area that I've always felt as a designer that um, they were underserved, apart from fashion and accessories in, in that world. Um, a lot of other areas, I think women are very much underserved. Um, and also I learned from my experiences that I enjoy bringing a product to life, which means not just ending at the ideation and the, the design phase or the rendering phase, um, but to actually bring it to life. Um, the mass production, uh, the whole messy manufacturing, and the commercialization of something. So with those, you know, knowing those two things, um, I felt I I wanted to kind of create my own brand, my own line of products, but I wasn't sure what that was yet. And at the time I was living in Boston and I walked into a sex shop and I looked around and I was like, oh my God. God. <laughs> and it was like both a aha and a no and a yes moment. Like, yeah. no, these things are so horrible. And yeah. yes, there's an opportunity here. So, um, yeah. So that's kind of where, um, yeah, kind of if, things and collided. It, and mm -hmm. if you ever walk into one, it just, it just feels like bad banner ads all over the place. You know, it's oh. like, it's just the worst bottom <laughs> barrel design. 
<laughs> it's like pink and purple and the, the, the most i would say um crass and almost base thinking yeah uh when it comes to sex it's like oh you know it's a penis so you know here's a phallic penis and this is we can you can get it in black you can get it in you know uh white color you can get it in purple you can get it pink. it's just hideous um so yeah so after so that experience you know um unfortunately is something that all women face across the country you know around the world um if you're thinking about sex toys in the last decade um that's basically what you had to choose from right and and it's embarrassing uh, just walking into them because it it does feel just bottom barrel right yeah so much so yeah Yeah. and some are so much more skivvier and sketchier than others um so so yeah i mean that was a light bulb that went off and I realized an opportunity and it really married um, my passion for designing products for women and also design and also bring in product to life. So that's when I decided I wanted to work um, on creating and elevating sex toys because it doesn't have to be, you know, penises and, you know, dildos and all that stuff. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. So mm-hmm. then, I mean, you had that, that aha moment, but how did you kind of translate that, moment into kind of where you are now okay um so that that took um several years um so when i first started you know it's just myself and with some ideas and i basically um did some kind of internal like um uh you know sketching you know getting some rough prototypes um well let me back off so my my concept in creating this company the whole vision was to elevate the idea of sex toys, um, you know, more than what we naturally, you know, preconceive them as right now. Um, and so the idea I had was to marriage something such as jewelry, which is completely on the, you know, a uh, 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 farthest end from sex toy, you can think, and marry that with some functionality of sex toys. Uh, the idea is making them very elevated and very discreet, very elegant, and actually very wearable. Um, so that's the idea behind my first company. So it was called Incognito. Hmm. Uh, so it's Incognito spelled with a Q instead of a G. Um, cognito. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyways. Um, so that was the concept behind the sure. line. And um, I was in Boston and my studio was there. So I did what I could um, as far as I can go in Boston, meaning um, rapid prototyping wasn't everywhere at the, at the time, at least in a cost-effective way, right. um, and there's a lot of limitations as to what you can do um, trying to prototype yourself. So what I did was, after I got some ideas far enough along, I knew I need to make actual working samples. And unfortunately, in Boston, it just wasn't, maybe I didn't have the right connections or whatever, but it just was not cost-effective for me. And also, let me preface by saying um, I started the company, I bootstrapped it with just a few thousand dollars of my own savings. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I had, you know, had a loan or had any, you know, nothing of that sort. It was just a few grand, some savings and a lot of credit card, <laughs> a lot of credit cards. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so knowing that I couldn't get what I needed done in Boston, um, I looked, overseas so through my experience working with other companies i knew how to get prototypes made overseas so i got online to alibaba you know everybody knows um the chinese sourcing uh, website um you know went through a lot of crazy ads and you know just kind of sift through the millions and millions of you know vendors that are available and And then what do you do when you get on alibaba you just search sex toys and 
stuff will pop no, up? No, actually, no, 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 quite the opposite. So, I mean, if you search sexual, yes, a gazillion things will pop up, right. but not the kind that I was interested in doing. Um, because you have to understand these manufacturers, um, if you Google, if you, I mean, excuse me, if you look up sex toys, you're just going to see manufacturers who are currently making those rabbits and dildos and all that stuff. So instead, I focused on my designs. Uh, my designs were jewelry. And so I looked at the materials. Most of them, you know, they're stainless steel. They were die cast. Um, some of them were leather. So I looked for vendors who worked with those materials, but they were not necessarily making sex toys. Okay. So I sifted through a whole bunch of them and I did this shotgun approach where you know you send out the intro email I honestly by the way just as an aside I really think all industrial design schools should have a curriculum on how to do global sourcing and some kind of class on Alibaba-esque type of stuff because yeah. I think it's incredibly valuable for industrial designers so yeah, anyway absolutely. Um, yeah um, so then I look for vendors who worked in the materials that I was using on my products and you know after the intro email kind of sifted through you know if they're really a manufacturer or a broker because that's one of the things that um you, I encountered a lot is that um because on Alibaba you just the, the, these uh, suppliers they just put up a page but you don't really know for sure if there's actually a factory behind them or they're just someone who's representing um, a bunch of different facts, but they're going to get a cut out of whatever you make with them. So I, I much prefer to work directly with factories because I also speak Chinese, which is a huge advantage. Um, realizing that now, oh, um, yeah. but, um, so <laughs> I, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, no, I, so I speak fluent, uh, fluent Mandarin and, uh, it's, it's, it's been incredible. So, um, thank you, mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So after I find, um, and sift through the people who are actually brokers versus manufacturers, and I hone in. So, like I said, a shotgun approach. You through process, you know, through talking to them, emailing back and forth, you start to figuring out who's who and who you still don't know, but um, maybe narrow it down to maybe seven or eight vendors that um, I felt most interested in. And you know, just it, in a way, you know, there's not a perfect for me. It's not a perfect science. Obviously, it, it is really a gut. You know, through their interact your interaction and email, you just have to make a judgment call as to do you think you might want to work with them. Okay. Yeah. And what I do is then I schedule a factory visit. So I visit every single one of the factories that um, I was put interested in potentially working with. This is so important because you know where it's coming from and you really know if, if you know, if they're just kind of full of shit or, you know, there's really a great factory behind it, you know. Right. So, um, so after I narrowed it down, then that's when I took the big, you know, made the big leap um, to take it to China. Um, I had a few friends, uh, friends I was with at RCA, um, Royal College of Art, um, who just these expats that happen to be living and working there. Um, um, and I kind of met up with them and started to look at all these going almost across China to all these different little cities um, to meet these various factories that I found on Alibaba. And then I got it down even more narrow because some of them weren't who they said they were or, you know, whatever. And, and uh, found a few more who was like, okay, I, I would like you to work on these samples. Um, and then they started, I gave them my sketches. Um, they made some samples. And from there, I kind of felt whether or not, you know, the, the quote, the cost and the quality, everything, you know, made sense. 
um, and then I decided on who I wanted to work with. Right. So this was supposed to be just a um, like a two month trip or one month trip turn into a one year long stay. Holy cow! <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, what, so why why so long? Um, so what happened was. Um, after I started getting these samples in, okay, now these, now keep in mind, I only had enough money. This is not making a production run. This is just to make a, a like eight, one or two or three samples. Um, I had these great samples and it was right in time for this trade show. It's the biggest uh, adult toy trade show in Europe. Uh, it's called um, Venus. Okay. At the time, I think they've changed around, but uh, it was in Berlin. And I told myself that, you know, before I, commit further into this idea it'd be really important to get a gut check whether or not like i am smoking crack or hey there's actually a market for this people right. would actually you know buy this and i think that's one of the things as a designer you know you this is your baby you think it's great but you know the problem is that well other people think it's great that that's that's the real question and in order to figure that out i mean now we have kickstarter and all, all that you know great crowdfunding stuff but at the time for me, I, I need to know whether or not this had any commercial, you know, value in terms of would buyers actually buy it. Yeah. So the best place uh, I thought was, well, let's well go to a trade show, get yeah. some, uh, meet some buyers, um, and I did. And, 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 and so at this point, all, you're you're mm -hmm. on, you're on your own at this point still. It's just you going to the show. Yes, I'm completely on my own. I mean, I knew a few friends in the industry. Uh, they made some introductions, which was really helpful. But basically, I'm, you know, I'm paying my way. And, you know, here I am at the trade show, but I don't have a trade show booth. Okay, I don't have that kind of money. So I basically have like my one sample of each product that had like maybe five or six products um, in my little suitcase. And I basically just met up with buyers and be like, hey, this is what I have. What do you think? <laughs> so that's kind of how it happened at yeah. the show. And, and how did it and, go? Uh, yeah, so it went well. And, and that's um, that was the key. It was that even though I did not get a single order, however, all the buyers that I met, they all told me, look, if you had, because uh, I was very transparent with them, I told them like, look, um, I'm new designer, I'm just getting to industry, um, these are some samples, I'm in production with these, um, you know, let me know what you think. And even though I didn't get any orders from the buyers on the spot, but all of them said to me, look, if you had, you know, if you had these already in stock, I'd place orders with you right now. We love, I love them. Yeah. And I heard that from, you know, three, four, five buyers. And then that gave me enough confidence that, okay, maybe I'm not smoking crack. Um, and maybe there's something here. So with that, uh, that was around the November time. And November, what year? November of 2009. Okay. 2009. Yeah. And yeah. I, and also I, I, then learned that the biggest time for this industry was Valentine's Day, naturally. Yeah. Um, and that was just around the corner. And so all these buyers were like, well, look, if you can get it to us, you know, by Valentine's Day, you know, I, we would place an order. Um, so I heard that a few times and I was like, oh, shit, you know, well, I mean, it's December. <laughs> I just have one of everything. Yeah. What do I do? So like I said, without even a single order, I kind of just had to go with my gut and go back to the factories that, you know, did my samples and, you know, through, cause I was also living, you know, in China at the time, um, you know, we worked together a little bit. Um, they kind of got to know me. Um, I basically went to them was like, look, I don't have an order for this just yet, but I'm pretty sure I will. If you guys just first make me a small batch 
batch of like 250, I promise I'm good for it. I promise. I, yeah. I, I didn't have to beg them too much, but they, they kind of like, they kind of felt, I, I think they, they trusted me. Um, and yeah. I, and, um, and the, so they did, they made the two, first 250 samples and it's kind of like my fingers both crossed, like, Oh my God, I hope the orders come in. I hope the orders come in. And then around December, my very first order came in and I was like, Oh my God, I'm yeah. in business. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the very first PO you get from someone, it's always, you know, it's like the most memorable. You're like, Oh my God, I'm a legit business. So, um, yeah, so then the POs started rolling in and very quickly I sold out of my first batch and then I was on to my next batch of 500 and then increased to 1,000. Uh, um, so yeah. it just kind of started taking off. Mm -hmm. so, so how did you, so what, so that, that was your yeah. first company though. How did you kind of get to Crave? Okay. So, um, so about a year and a half of this, um, after that I was, you know, well into the business um i was launching my second collection of products i had like eight new items and i was at another trade show a year later um uh this was in the u.s where um i was simply just showing my second collection to the buyers um hoping to get orders and while i was at the trade show um i was in a taxi it was like the last night of the show and i was in a taxi line uh, with like a whole bunch of industry people and um, some guy like in front of me um, turned around and looks at my name badge and it says T Chang and he's like ah T I uh, incognito I I seen your jewelry it's really great I like this I like it and I was like what you know who is this idiot like <laughs> and and it turns out to be he is not an idiot. Yet. Um, uh, he is now my co business co-founder, uh, Michael Topolovac. Um, He's actually the founder of Crave. So at that point in time, uh, Michael had already started Crave almost almost the same time I started Incognito. Mm. While I got my products onto the market, he was very much in the research phase of understanding and listening to customers, which is something I was incredibly impressed by because you know so many people I think jump right into designing the products instead of taking a step back and really understand what the users are thinking, you know, what they're feeling, what kind of experience they want. So anyhow, so Michael, we met at the trade show and um, after a few long conversations, um, we realized like what we, why we're doing what we're doing. You know, our vision is very much aligned that we both wanted to elevate toys in this space, except he, I, I was already had a company. I had products on the market he has an idea, um, a big balance sheet because, um, Crave is angel funded at that time. Mm. Um, and he was looking for a designer, but unfortunately I had my own company. So it turns out then he then bought my company incognito to bring me on board as co-founder. So yeah. that's how it happened. <laughs> wow. So, uh, I'm sure you were pretty attached to incognito at that point. Uh, but that must've been a pretty big jump for you to, to say, okay, let's, let's, Let's get in. Uh, yeah. Let's partner up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, yes. Yes. And no. Uh, yes. And that I love the fact of having my own business. Uh, no, in that. And, you know, I can design what I want. And and the whole, you know, business side of it was very, um, very exciting for me. Um, however, the operation side sucked. Yeah. 
sucks so bad. <laughs> like <laughs> yes. I had spent so much more time doing well, figuring out inventory. Um, I mean, all the nitty gritties of what actually keeps a business running. I mean, it is, it is, it is no joke. You know, they don't teach you that in design school or, no. you know, entrepreneurship 101. Um, yeah. So it's, I, it's definitely I, something you know, that I've be, learned as well. Just, uh, you know, because mm-hmm. you, you do everything at first and you're like, why am I doing everything? I mean, it's, it's great to learn it. But it, it like gives you the way to kind of appreciate uh, kind of everyone oh. else in the company, like oh, why, why companies are so big or why they're, you know, why operations people exist or why, you know, oh. everyone else exists. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, at that at that point when I met Michael, I had to be very honest with myself um, in terms of, OK, I can hold on to incognito, which is fine. Um, I mean, I wasn't super profitable. I mean, actually, take that back. I wasn't profitable, but no business is, you know, in the very first year, you know, most business take a while, but a year or two before, you know, you're breaking even. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but I had POs, I had, you know, I was keeping the ship floating, um, but I had to be honest with myself, like, okay, do I want to continue doing this um, or do I want to be able to have a greater impact? Because I quickly realized Incognito's appeal was very much a boutique, small, you know, a small niche business. And I was interested in doing things such as vibrators, but unfortunately I didn't have the background or the resource. I mean, background in terms of like, you know, I wasn't an engineer, you know, um, that type of thing. I didn't have the resources to, to kind of get me there. And I wanted to have more impact. And with Crave, I had the ability to work with a much bigger toolbox and with a, you know, pool of people and, you know, bigger balance sheet. And, um, I really suck at Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> so I, I think I, I felt it was probably much wiser to let someone else do that and um, focus on, you know, what what my strengths are. So I was happy to, you know, sell my company to Crave um, to become co-founder and the, you know, head designer of Crave. Um, and I'm sure Michael's much happier having him do spreadsheets than me. <laughs> right. That was not my forte. Right, right. What I what I love about your your story is that you know this sounds just like every other startup in the world, especially you know the like if if you didn't have the category of of sex toys attached to this, it would sound just like any tech startup you know in oh, San absolutely. Francisco. So I'm wondering how are you you know you guys are in San Francisco now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's obviously a huge startup scene there. How are, how do you interact in that world? And you know are people thrown off at first because you're not doing uh, you know, some sort of connected device or, you know, right, some sort right. of technology, something. Developing some app or something like right, that. Right, right. Um, no, actually, um, I mean, after all, this is San Francisco, right? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> we are San Francisco. Right, right. <laughs> um, and so most people are probably not surprised. Um, I mean, it's a, it's, it's always a, if I'm brought into a, like a cocktail party or whatever, um, and if I let, you know, the cat out of the bag, you know, what I do, then it immediately just kind of steals the entire conversation for the party as everyone's like, Oh my God, sex toy. Oh my God. I mean, what I get weird about is when someone comes up, you know, when I tell people what I do and then somebody's like, let me tell you, I have this great idea that I think they should make. And that's cheek clenches. And I'm like, Oh my God, what are they going (laughs) to (laughs) say? Can you share uh, some of the uh, more interesting, uh, design suggestions 
Oh my god. Uh, okay. Without, well, just, without embarrassing just, anyone. <laughs> okay, I'm not gonna embarrass anyone. Well, okay, yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll leave all the the said company uh, names out. Um. Yeah. So, well, actually, I was at an IDSA conference. Okay, but is no one from IDSA? All right. Uh, okay. um, IDSA, it's actually the Nationals. Um. And you know they have a lot of different vendors. Um. Uh setting up their booths so that they show designers their latest products or materials and you know things like that um in the in the um i think in the food area so they it's almost like a mini trade show sort of at the conference um Mm -hmm. and uh one of the vendors there uh sell a particularly desirable product to designers i'm not going to say what it is um and uh so I was looking at the product and he's like, yeah, you know, explaining the features and stuff. And he's like, oh yeah, so you're a designer, obviously. So what do you do? And I was like, well, this is a design conference. Cause every time someone asks me what I do, I have pretty much like, you know, less than two seconds to figure out whether this person's going to be cool with what I do sure. or they're just not. Yeah. And how, like, how, well, do you, this how do you gauge that? It, it's got again. I mean, it's, it's just, <laughs> you know, if, if I was, let's yeah. say if I was back home in Atlanta, I, bite my lip a lot more (laughs) i'm just like oh i work for a startup you know i can't really talk about it (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. um but then if if it's someone i'm just like ah yeah i design sex toys yeah (laughs) so um i told the guy what i what i do because i figured it's a design conference you know everyone's cool um and then he was like like took this big gasp and his eyes got really big and was just like that is so cool um I, I, I want to tell you about this idea, though, like I've had and I, I, I just think it should make it. And I was just like, oh, shit. Uh, OK, what what is it? And and um, he goes, well, OK, on the side, I actually um, actually uh, deal with slot uh, machine rentals. OK. And I was like, OK, um, in addition to his sales job um selling design products um he has a slot machine sort of side business and he goes you know i've always wondered why these like slot machines are so uncomfortable you know to sit in and you know people are sitting at slot machines for hours right and i was like yeah yeah you know because my mom gambles and i was like yeah yeah people do sit you know and he goes so i think okay and tell me tell me what you think okay he goes so what if we made the um seats and the front like area of like kind of like guess the console area of the um slot machine to be shaped like a woman's ass oh like j-lo's ass uh, yeah yeah no, that would be really great shut like, it down J-Lo's shut ass. it down guy <laughs> walk it <laughs> and, walk it back walk it and back like, and i was like I, I couldn't it was almost like unreal i, I thought uh, so he was like yeah you know they should make it like an like like j-lo's ass you know and then be so comfortable oh. and and, and, you know, I'm pretty, you know, I have to handle a lot of, you know, uh, working with sex toys and sometimes I have to answer uncomfortable questions. And sure. I was like, you know, um, so <laughs> I was like, so, you know, we would not be interested, Crave, my company, we are, you know, not interested in that. Yeah. But I will tell you two companies who do make, you know, chopped off body parts, uh, their Topco and Cal Exotics, you should give them a call. And he goes, oh, yeah, really? I was like, yeah, yeah, that'd be a good one. Okay. All right. And he goes, okay, thanks. Thanks so much. I'm like, yeah, no problem. (laughs) So I just left it at that. (laughs) Yeah. Please don't look at me the rest of the show. Yeah. I just, I, it was actually really awkward. I bet he really regretted like sharing that with me because now just kind of, you know, zoom past him. So anyways, um, uh, sorry, we were saying about, um, (laughs) 
Yeah. So San Francisco design scene, um, startup scene. Yes. I mean, creating a, a sex toy company is like any other startup. I mean, it is dirty. It is, you know, you're as a co-founder, you do everything from taking out the trash to, you know, anything that needs to be done. Right. Um, and in San Francisco, particular where we are at, um, we're based in Soma, which apparently mm-hmm. has become like the golden, um, like hub. Um, actually, there's actually a specific location in Soma. I think they call it the golden block or golden square because Pinterest, um, Airbnb, um, I think Heroku and like Yahoo's about to be there. Um, but basically that whole block has just these phenomenal startups, um, just a few blocks away from me. Um, and I, you know, that's just really, that that's really inspiring and that's really, really cool. Um, but unfortunately I'm not very like in tune with like who's who of the startup. So like my boyfriend is, um, he actually doesn't work in a startup. He works, you know, doing cancer research, um, like serious stuff. Um, and he, he he is much for something he's much more in tune with all the you know who's who in in tech startup world um and like we'll be out and he's like oh that's the airbnb guys and i was like who who oh oh really <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know we're like oh that's some famous blogger uh tynan over there and i'm like who what and so um they're all around us and it's it's just very inspiring to be in their presence um yeah and the i think Air- the airbnb guys were actually uh they graduated as industrial designers from RISD. Yeah, uh huh. Yeah. I heard I heard one of the founders speak um, uh, last year at something called OpenCo, okay. uh, where uh, it's it's actually in several cities uh, like London and um, New York, and where design studios or design companies open up their doors and you know to the public and kind of share you know what they do. And the, and the Airbnb guy, um, I'm sorry, I can't remember his name, but you know he had a great story of how it all started. Um, but um, yeah. but man, the legal battles they're 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 dealing with right now is insane yeah there's I mean, it seems like a lot of these uh these you know tech startup type companies it's they're doing traditional things in a really unprecedented way so like airbnb uber anytime you're threatening kind of the entrenched players they just kind of uh yeah the entrenched players don't really like that too much so yeah buzzword disruptive if you're yeah. disruptive. yes <laughs> yeah um so, so um you know, what's kind of interesting to me is that, you know, we're, we're this time where the, the tech industry is kind of interested in, in wearable tech. And, you know, quite honestly, we're not doing a really good job so far. You know, it's like these really clunky, um, mm, yeah, you know, weird devices. And, and I, uh, I forget who it was, I heard say this the other day, but, um, I think she, she made a really good point was like, you know, if you look at it and you wouldn't, wear it if it wasn't that you know magical tech you know technology in there you know it's not good right and i and i think we're 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 still kind of missing that from from wearable tech but you know sex toys in a way are kind of the first one of the very first pieces of wearable tech you know going back a a long time now you know what do you think Mm -hmm. industrial designers are missing about designing some of this stuff this uh well designing wearables or yeah, designing wearables, wearables. I mean, okay yeah um yeah so yes it is very very hot right now um and my my assessment of it at the moment is it's just not there yet i mean the products are basically like the first stepping stones yeah, into something better not, um, not not there yet you mean like the the technology or the design or the design and the technology yeah um, yeah. There are inklings of 
really, really outstanding stuff. However, the way it's perhaps imbued in a form factor or, but also, you know, culturally how, in a way, I think people would adopt things very quickly if the interface and the technology is, and the form factor is just seamless, you know, very much kind of like the iPhone. I mean, she's, I remember the day I had, I had a pager for, for fuck's sakes, you know, I had a pager back in the day. And now, you know, look how quickly the iPhone and um, smartphones have been picked up just because they solved, you know, the way that the inter- interaction was just easy. Um, and like you mentioned before, it's clunky and right. it it's something people look at and it's like, oh, do I want to wear this all the time? Mm, right. You know? Right. And, and so few of them are designed with women in mind at all. And- yeah. Yeah. And it's tricky, I, I, to be honest. I mean, I think wearables for women are very tricky because of, as you know, a lot of women like fashion. Um, I love fashion. I'm very much a girly girl. And uh, I think about, well, is this going to match this? You know, what am I going to wear today? Or, you know, right. so it, it it is even more difficult, I think, um, a making a product that you're wearing all the time to kind of uh, almost coordinate with everything in your closet. Um, at the same time, you also want something that's not too fad like fad like oh you know coral is really in right now so let's make this coral and that i think you have to be careful not to let the aesthetics in terms of kind of the fashion the whimsical aspect of it take over too much of the product Mm. um i i think because it because right now, you know, well, with Crave, we have some wearables. We have some, um, this pair of necklace called Droplet. Actually, um, I created in um, with Incognito that got rebranded as Crave when I joined. Um, but these are our necklaces. They're like two little pendants. They look very discreet. They're metal uh, with a stainless steel chain. Um, if you wear them out, they just look like little pendants. But they're actually, they're nipple vibrators. And they're just silver. And... Yeah. You know, it, it was also very hard because you you want something that appeals to a lot of people, uh, that says something but doesn't say too much. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's you know these things that that you want to kind of work with your outfit, uh, not to become the statement of your outfit. So um, you know, it, it's a complicated thing. It really is. Yeah, I mean, what strikes me about you know, I think what part of what has enabled the sex toy industry to kind of you know, go through this period of uh, design growth is the fact that a lot of the components are somewhat standardized. And, and I don't know if you would agree with that or not, but it sounds, you know, I mean, like, essentially, you know, you're going to have a, a vibrator of some sort, and you're going to have a battery of some sort and an on off switch of some sort. But then after that, it's 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 really a matter of designing for uh, certain situations, certain aesthetic tastes, certain. Uh, and so I think it allows a little bit more freedom because you kind of know what the underlying tech is or maybe i'm um, misreading it well no i mean no you're no you're not you're not um you're not wrong in that um if it's a vibrator yes it's gonna have some parts that are pretty standard like you know a motor right. you know some kind of hopefully rechargeable battery would be really great uh depending on sophisticated you may need a pcb board okay um and you need some way to mount the motor uh, in the product um so there's some things that yes it is it is kind of basic um however the the use situation that you're talking about, you know, can be so different. Like, does it, is it an internal? Is it clitoral? Is it just, you know, is it for the butt? You know, is it, what is it for? You know? So right. there are a lot of different um, variations on that. And that very much dictates um, the, the, the form that 
one would design to create deliver that experience. Right. So right. Um, with sex toys, I think just in the very basic, just like a basic, simple, clean vibrator, um, I think it's a low-hanging fruit. Uh, what I mean by that is that um, there aren't a lot of super clean, simple ones out there. They're getting there. There are more and more in the last few years that are popping up, okay? Um, but there are just so many vibrators that, for example, the rabbit, um, you know, everyone knows um, the iconic rabbit, you know, it's made famous by Sex and the City. Um, you know, it has like a, a phallic end and has little rabbit um, that's sitting on the other end. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. I, I've like, got, a, yeah, I've got a, a, a basic understanding of it. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say, I've got it. No, oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I've got one right here. Have no. edit. <laughs> all good. All good. Um, so the rabbit is one is, is very iconic and, yeah. and people remember this, not probably not because of its beauty, um, but just because how cheesy and, you know, crazy it is. It's got this like penis end that gyrates and then you have this bunny. It's just like, what in the world? Um, so there are iconic objects like that, um, that can really be rethought you know, redesigned and made better. And then that's just like the basic low hanging fruit. Then there's another level of innovation in terms of where, for example, wearables, wireless, um, you know, who knows what, you know, on top of that, that new technology, new experiences that people will want to have that we can design and ID around. Right. But we're, we're just not even, you know, we're not quite there yet. Right. And, mm-hmm. and I guess what I'm, what I meant by modular or the kind of like a standardized set is that by kind of understanding what's going to go in it, it allows you the opportunity to kind of create these different situational uh, objects essentially, right? Where it's like it, this one can be more internal, like you said, or more clitoral or, or, or yeah. whatever. Right. And maybe that's what's missing from kind of the wearable stuff is they're just, they're just trying to slam the technology somewhere and not thinking about what the actual uses yet. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, uh, I, I am not a a huge, at least right now, I'm not an early adopter of wearable tech. Sure. Uh, I'm not a big fan of quantified self, just that I, you know, it's just not really for me. Um, um, however, I, I, I'm not dismissing it. It's just for me. I, I, I don't have that in my life. You're not going to have a quantified self uh, vibrator soon. (laughs) Uh, I mean, we always have things in the pipeline, but I, I don't know if that's, um, yeah. you know, in, in, in the plans. But yeah. um, so it's when we don't know the the usage and the experience, it, it's really hard to pinpoint like what kind of technology yeah. makes sense for a particular wearable. Yeah. Um, so we are doing what we can to you know, provide new experiences. And I can't talk too much about that, but looking right. into experiences people can have with the technology in a way that's integrated much more seamlessly than, yeah. you know, than a cl- something clunky and you feel that's gimmicky. Yeah. So, uh, so what's the latest with, uh, with Crave now? You've been you partnered up now for a couple years and it, it seems like the company, you know, I, I've been reading your blog posts and it seems that the company is doing really well. Kind of, what, what, how did, how did that evolution kind of play itself out once, once the kind of the partnership happened there? Yeah. So, um, after I joined, um, we were still in stealth mode. So, you know, like I said, we didn't have at the time, Michael had a lot of great research, which I was very impressed by. And we used that as the foundation of figuring out which some of the, you know, new product directions that we wanted to take. And 
once I joined, I started taking these um, product ideas and really bringing them to life, giving them a form. Uh, we started working on prototyping. And um, the first year, uh, we actually launched our first products, uh, not in the traditional sense, but through crowdfunding, actually. Um, we wanted to be on Kickstarter, but we were not allowed to be on Kickstarter um, because Kickstarter doesn't believe in vibrators um, and a lot of other things, um, mm. as you know. Um, so we ended up on this like little, very little known site called Seeky, uh, which is now some other site. Um, but uh, we, we at this point did not launch the company. We just wanted to launch this product idea. Okay, it was called the Duet, and actually to this day, it's our best-selling product. Uh, it's a two-motor USB rechargeable vibrator. Um, it's medical. Uh, excuse me, it's medical. And it's not medical. Do not say that. <laughs> it is metal and silicone, and um, the the just the the compactness, the design of it is just very different than a lot of the plastic and silicone toys that you see out there. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was so different, um, it's an external vibe, so you just use it for clitoral stimulation. Um, we wanted to just kind of put that out there through crowdfunding, just to see what what the reaction, you know, from the public would be, uh, to to see just you know if we're just kind of like almost like when I was at the trade show, kind of checking ourselves just to see what the reaction was. Um, so we released it in 2012 on um, on Seeky, trying to raise fifteen thousand uh, dollars. We did it in two days. We ended up raising at the end of I think it's like four weeks or four, uh, actually but I think maybe six weeks, a uh, hundred thousand dollars, and we had over like nine hundred some backers. So we were wow. completely take you know blown away by you know the support, especially because it's a vibrator. And technically, actually, um, Duet is world's first crowdfunded vibrator. Yeah. Um, so well, I, I remember of- when you guys were on Seeky, like, and that was mm-hmm. was that did you say two thousand eleven? That was. Yeah, that was 2011. And so, like, to to raise a hundred grand, especially like you know, Seeky never got as big as Kickstarter, um, and so it's a much more uh, less well known site, and it's yeah. in the very early stages of crowdfunding in general. To raise that much money is is super impressive. Yeah, yeah, and that's one of the things that you know I was mentioning about the the social climate. I think uh, people started to talk about this, I mean, most of it was very organic. I mean, how the word got out, it was really just people kind of passing it on, like, hey, check this out, you know? Whereas I think before, if you saw a cool vibrator, you couldn't email your you know, friends like, hey, check out this cool vibrator, you know? It doesn't work that way. But if someone emails you an article saying, hey, the uh, this, this vibrator, you know, raised $46,000, you know, in, you know, three days, you know, it was on like Fox News. It was it was actually on Fox, and it was on like all these different places. Yeah. Um, then people started just kind of spreading, you know, spreading it out there. And then you know, people who are interested, they're just like, "Hey, yeah, sure, I'll back this." Yeah. Um, and they did. That's awesome. So uh, let, let's let's so, change gears a little bit here. I want to talk uh, uh, about your role as uh, IDSA's uh, vice chair for women in design. Uh, what what? What are you kind of, what's your role in that? What, what are you, what's the kind of the job description of that? And how, and how did you get into it? Okay. Um, I, I actually didn't even know such a position existed. Um, <laughs> I, I went to the national conference um, last year in Chicago and uh, the theme at the time was called uh, breaking the rules. Uh, the theme of the conference was kind of to throw off the conventional ideas and uh, the format of the, uh, the, 
the conference was was quite different. They had these breakout sessions where people proposed whatever they wanted to talk about. And uh, I was nudged, uh, you know, I've been on about this, like, why aren't there more women industrial designers, you know, for a while? Um, and then a friend of mine was like, yeah, you should put that on the board, you know? And I was like, okay, fine. So then I put it on the board and it became this little breakout session. And from there, I just, you know, it, there was just a lot of support. And it was a lot of really cool and interesting conversations around, you know, why there weren't enough women in design or there are, what happens to them. Um, and then I just kind of carry that with me. Um, and then I didn't want to lose the momentum. So I started a meetup group, a local meetup group in San Francisco called Women Industrial Design. Okay. And uh, so I was just doing kind of what I felt was kind of right to perpetuate and kind of start to build a community. Mm -hmm. I mean, I looked around to see other um, women industrial design groups, but unfortunately, you know, there are a few out there, but they're not active. That that was a problem. Like yeah. I wrote emails to them. I even sent a check that I don't even know they ever deposited for my membership. Um, and, but just, I just didn't hear back and they just, you know, weren't really, yeah. you know, alive. So I started this meetup group. Um, and just kind of met up with women through, it's all very casual. It's not like we sit in a circle and say, hi, I'm a designer. I do this. It's, it's so incredibly just like casual having drinks at a bar or wherever. Um, and I guess through just my actions and my interest, um, Nancy Perkins, who is the chair of the women design section, uh, she basically sent me an email one day. I was like, hey, would you like to assume role of vice chair? And I was like, uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't know, I didn't really didn't know the job description, but I guess whatever I was doing, she thought I was, you know, I was doing it. And, um, and then, yeah, then I just kind of became the vice chair. Um, but around that same time, uh, because of my meetup group, my whole, you know, mission in just, starting this meetup group is just so that women can meet other peers and also to kind of help each other. Um, I think a lot of times because the environment in which they work is often so male dominated, it's not often you meet your peers and or get outside help or, you know, maybe you just need a place to complain and bitch about something, you know, whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, what are, and, what are uh, some of the conversations uh -huh. that, uh, you know, if you could share them, what, what are some of the, the things that that you would talk about that you know maybe uh, men would have been surprised that you uh, brought up or thought was an issue or you know just you know stuff like that that you could only kind of talk about with uh, with other women. Well, I mean, it, it's um, it, it's it's not it's 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 not like it's scandalous or anything. It's right. more that um, because I think when you work in such a male dominant environment, um, it, it's just great to be around other women where you can, it's almost like you can relax a little because I think there's a lot of pressure um, in a very competitive work environment to always like be on it. And, you know, just, it, it's just that competition, I think. Um, whereas when you are outside of that work setting and you're among your peers, they get it. They get like, you know, uh -huh, you know, th it happens. And yes, you have that dick engineer that just refuses to make any design changes, you know, mm -hmm. and who always comes back with a shitty, you know, uh, mechanical reason why they can't change this or blah, 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 you know, and you get these kind of things. And um, 
so it, it's it's just good to kind of know that you're among other peers and or sometimes I think some women um, decide to kind of maybe kind of like me or they decide that they want to try some new things like designing their own products or whatnot and they need help finding sourcing manufacturers or hey do you know someone who makes bags or do you know so-and-so who can do some water jet cutting or whatever you know and so that just kind of helps um you know people in general just to um be a source um where you can feel like or like a forum you can like pose some questions out there hey does anyone know this or hey do you guys want to go visit this gallery or this launch party or something like that yeah yeah. What, you know, obviously I have the perspective of, of a guy because I'm a guy uh, <laughs> and I'm a designer and I'm, you know, um, I, I wonder, you know, what, what don't guys generally understand or appreciate about, uh, women designers and I, and I, or may, you know, maybe I'm saying this the wrong <laughs> way. What is it? Are there certain experiences that you guys have that that we don't and we would kind of be surprised by or, you know? You know, um, I, you know, I don't want to play up stereotypes. Um, it, it, this is this is a question that it, I want to answer it in. Hmm. Uh, OK, all right. I, I would say this. I mean, as far as design men, design women, mm-hmm. I mean, there is a there's a gigantic canyon of misunderstandings and just for men and women just in general okay so much sure. less than, you know design men and women because i think sometimes when you're both peers in the same expertise um it can be quite feisty because <laughs> it's like i think it's this and i think it's that well right. you know you both have industrial design degree you know uh, whereas like me and my boyfriend you know he's from a biology background and so i'm like well i like this chair better and He's like, okay, well, I guess you're the designer, but it doesn't mean that he can't interject his own, you know, opinions. Like, well, I still like the other one better, blah blah blah, you know. Right. But I, I can just imagine in a design relationship, um, you know, it can be maybe a little more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for women, I think what, with, I think what is surprising also, just also from my experience of researching and designing products for women, is that women are actually very, very practical. I mean, more practical than you would think. Sure, there are times that they're not going to know what they want. And, you know, there's some, you know, everyone changes their mind or whatnot. But I think the modern day woman, she is quite practical um, in terms of what kind of objects she would want to bring into her life. Because her life is busy. I mean, she, you know, some have kids, some have, you know, careers they're trying to juggle with maybe like an outside job or, you know, they have all these other things that are going on. Like myself, I have a startup to run and I'm doing this women design show, you know. Um, so the decision to buy something and to use it all the time, you know, more than like just a fashion accessory where you put on once in a while, um, you know, that thinking into that product, I mean, that product has to be you know, really practical and really designed for her in terms of her experiences that she has throughout her day. And I think not enough, um, sometimes companies and or research or products don't really reflect that they quite understand their user. They don't quite understand the experience, you know, a woman wants. Um, And it's not, it's not like, you know, obviously the pink and the whole aesthetic style issue aside, um, there's so many things about what goes on in a woman's life that is just so vastly different. Um, 
you know, in a man's life. Yeah. Um, so you, you, one of the questions that I think kind of led you to this, and you said you mentioned it was, uh, you know, why aren't there more women designers? So have you kind of learned anything about that? Why, why do you think that yeah. there aren't more women designers? So I, I started at the uh, conference asking, why aren't there more women designers? And in actuality, I learned that it's not that there aren't any women designers. There are. There really are. There are lots of women designers, but they're just not being recognized. That's the thing that's really surprising why, to me. Why, why do you think uh, that is? Oh, I mean, I think, well, I, I think just by nature, women are great team players. They are, uh, you know, so much so that they don't raise their hand and be like, hey, I did that and I want credit. I just don't think, you know, it's in a woman's nature to like do that. And it's like, you know, recently with the whole Sheryl Sandberg lean in and, you know, yeah. don't sit at the back of the conference room, you know, sit forward. It, it really is. It taps into that, that um, a lot of women, you know, they, they work for great studios. They work for great designers. Um, some of them may start their own thing, but you don't hear very much about them. I don't know why. Um, but through my journey of just trying to connect with more women designers, there are loads of them, loads of them. But we just don't know each other exists. We just don't know. And whenever, you know, they are in contact with each other, it's like, oh, my God, I didn't know there was a woman designer doing this, da, 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 yeah. you know, and which is just fantastic. Um, I think a lot also has to do with uh, once a woman has a child, for example, uh, once there are kids, other things like raising a child, you know, versus a design conference, those kind of things start to conflict. So it's, you know, where are your priorities? And I think um, it just... Basically, I'm not speaking for all women, obviously, but I think just for some women, um, you know, their priorities get shifted, and it's not for them. It's not about the design community. It's more about look, it's my, it's my life, it's my home, it's my family. You know, that's what it's all about. Um, and leading up to you know this women design show, I found there are many uh, established women designers who was like, I don't know if I want to do this show, you know. And I was mm. like, No, you must do this show. Yeah. Because why? Why do you think people were saying that? Well, some of them, well, if they're, if they're established designers, they, they have no, um, it, it, there's no financial incentive for them. It's not like getting more exposure. They already have exposure or, you know, uh, they, they have work um, that's keeping them steady. Um, it, for them, it's just, and they have other things going on in their lives. It's like, I don't know if I want to, you know, just do a show. But I was like, no, you have to, because it's not, it's not just about you. It is about you showing your face with rests of the women and showing that look at all these great things that women have designed in the past and it also helps the younger generation to be like ah oh, i have some role models because if you think about the a lot of the examples that we have in our history in our design history books like eva zeitzel or you know eileen gray those are like very few and far in between you know among the rays and eames and sarens and you know loies and all of that you have so many more male um, um, idols and role models to draw from and not as many, you know, women. Yeah. So I think it, it's important for the women to kind of stand together and be in this show or in a show or be recognized and try to elevate themselves in the media for the things that they've done. Um, because it, it, it shows that, you know, you're not just in the background. Um, I learned that so many women are in the background and, you know, not saying, hey, you know, I, I worked on this, I worked on that. So um, 
my, my goal is hopefully is to just try to provide an opportunity through this show um, to provide a platform for them to showcase their talents. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the, the show a little bit. Um, what, wh- when is it and, and where is it? And and, uh, so, and, and what mm-hmm. is it? <laughs> Cause we, we've been talking okay. about, it, but we haven't kind of fully introduced ah, it. Yeah. Right. So, um, so this is the first, IDSA sponsored women in industrial design show. Like first, uh, first ever to your, to your knowledge? first ever. Okay. Yes. Wow. First ever. And I actually double and triple checked with IDSA and no one has like, they, they, it's no one knows. I mean, and Nancy has been on the board for over like, I think 15 or 20 years and wow. uh, she hasn't, you know, she's like, I've never heard of another one. That's kind of uh, amazing. There has been. That's kind of yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really amazing. And actually there has been, um, Another show that showcased women 20 years ago in 95, 1995, uh, that was hosted by Pratt, and the name of the show is called Goddess in the Details. So actually, Nancy Perkins, who is the um, chair of, uh, of WID, IDSA, she uh, was in that show. So that was 20 years ago, and that wow. was the only like only other show I could find that celebrated and you know recognized just women in industrial design. So I was like, well, you know, it's about we should have another one. <laughs> yeah, I think it's time. You know? Yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> since you know, 20 years ago, you know, we're still with pagers and stuff, right? Yeah. Right. So um, so much has changed. Um, and yeah, so that that is uh that the the show is aimed to just showcase emerging and established designers uh total there are 15 women um but there are actually three additional ones because their work was so great that the judges um didn't want to leave them out so we have three honorable mentions uh we have i believe um five up and coming which are designers with less than five years of experience and or their students or professionals who have more than five years of experience uh, so we have 10 of those um so in total this show is just a one night only show uh, in san of Design Week on June 14th from 6 to 10 p.m. hosted by Astro Studios um, that showcase um, all, um, actually, you know, 18 women. Um, and we'll have a panel of discussion by leading designers and, ex- and specialists in the industry, um, you know, having uh, a discussion. I'm not sure what exactly uh, is being hosted by our moderator, um, Cameron Campbell, senior strategist at Teague. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to that. So that I think there's like eight women who are going to be on the panel. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, mm-hmm. So how did you go about finding uh, the women for the show? Because, you know, I think it's interesting that you said that, um, at least in your experience, women don't tend to promote themselves as much as men do. Men. So, so how did yeah. you, how did you go about finding them? Um, I, well, this is a open submission. So okay. anyone you know, with the industrial design background, they can all apply. So every single person applied, some people had to be nudged to apply. <laughs> yeah. Um, and some just didn't want to apply, you know, and that's, that's fine. Um, someone didn't want to apply because they felt they weren't at a place where they, uh, were super proud of their work and they want to wait till later, which is, you know, which is great because it becomes something that you kind of work towards, you yeah. know, uh, which is really Cool. Um, so these were all natural submissions, and um, I was not one of the ju- judges. Um, so we had a panel of judges um, who curated and just graded by uh, points. And it's a very simple mathematical thing. The top, you know, scores, you know, got in, and you know, and that was that. Mm-hmm. 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 So, so what do you think the 
what do you what what's an outcome you hope to have from the show? From now, or people walking away from the show? Oh, sorry, they... you, you broke you broke up. Uh-huh. Could you just start? Oh, sure. Could you start okay, beginning sure. from when I asked that question? Mm-hmm. Um, my hope is just after people leave the show, um, or even years from now, they will remember the women's name and the work that they did or the work that they did um because that's that's important just to know that hey you know she designed this um and what would be even more awesome is that if the younger generation of women is inspired and they feel like ah, i have a role model that i can look up to and my ultimate ultimate goal is that if these if soon um we can start to identify famous women designers in the media as easily as we can say Michael Young, Tom Dixon, and, you know, Naotofu Hasawa, you know, I mean, yeah. because we are surrounded by designers, yet if I asked you who, you know, can you name a famous, you know, female industrial designer? It's like, uh, let me get back to you on that. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's just not that easy. And I, I, and, and from what I've learned is that it's not that they're not there. They are. It's just, we don't hear about them. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. What do you think we could do to um, better support women designers, and uh, you know, not just women supporting them, but men supporting them, the whole design community? Yeah. I think this this shows a great first step. But what um, what else do you think we could do to kind of? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, one is to provide more opportunities for women to shine. Uh, either have shows, um, give awards, um, but create platforms um and you know call them out when they did a great you know when they've done a great job um like i said women are not that comfortable i think i found that some women are just not that even established women designers like when i talk to them and like kind of put them in the spotlight they're like uh you could tell that they're just not so like sometimes you know so sure you know they want all that spotlight on them Hmm. you know it's just kind of interesting. Whereas men, it's like, yeah, sure, I'll give an interview, no problem. Okay, yeah. win. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, I know I'm stereotyping a little bit, but um, but there is something about that um, that we need to kind of. Uh, uh, I think women, as ourselves, it's our job to like, hey, you know, don't be so shy. It's okay. Get yourself out there. It's cool. Um, so that's one. Provide more opportunities for women. Um, I would say help each other. Um, help not you know, help the women help, you know, the men can help the women, women helping other women. Um, just also young designers who may be a little lost with, you know, need a little direction or guidance, um, encourage them, help them any way you can. Cause I think helping others is, is one of the best ways that you can, you know, um, you know, put good things in motion. So, um, that's another, uh, I think the last thing I would say is provide a really good work environment and that's much easier said than done. But I think if companies, I, I don't want to say women friendly, cause I don't even know what that is, <laughs> right. but I just mean right. have a work environment where it's just great for everyone. Um, I mean, that's just, that's just a good thing. Um, provide a really good atmosphere for everyone. Yeah. And do you, do you have examples of environments? or, you know, stories that you've heard or, or situations that you've been that have been not as supportive, maybe, not maybe, the, maybe, maybe specifically to women? Uh, environments that are not, um, I would say, um, sometimes. And, and maybe they weren't trying to be, but that just, they, 
they did it accidentally, you know? Cause I, right. I think, oh, I, yeah, I think, that happens a lot. <laughs> I think that happens a lot where guys think that they're just, um, they're being fair, but I think that they're, uh, they're just oblivious to certain things <laughs> that, uh, you know, that, yeah. a, that a woman would respond to differently than maybe a, a man would. Yeah, totally. Um, I think, I think, you know, oftentimes a lot of things that happen may perhaps in, in um, small companies um, uh, where a lot of the management's men, um, they don't quite, you know, get, they, they don't quite see how this can be not as women friendly. Um, for example, corporate outings, like, does it always have you a baseball game? Some women absolutely love baseball, which okay, is freaking yeah. awesome. That's great. Okay. But not everything has to revolve, you know, like, oh, you know, we got box seats for, you know, uh, this baseball game, you know, who wants it? You know, I mean, it's, uh, I, I always, in my company, actually, um, you know, I've treated people I worked with like to manicure, pedicure. I mean, that's also the other extreme. Okay. Whereas someone who on right. viewing this would be like, oh my God, that's just like, I don't even, I don't even get my nails done, you know? Right. Um, right. No, I was, I was in a company where every year they would give out uh, presents to the employees and the guys would get restaurant gift certificates and the the girls would get uh uh gift certificates to like get manicures and pedicures and it was the same response it's like well i cut you know i like eating too <laughs> you know like a restaurant would actually be better for me than like uh, going to get my nails done or you know no and you know and that's a that's a great example that you just provided um and i think the best way to approach that is really just to provide options like they can choose to have that or they can choose that. Don't just give it out, you know, right. um, provide options. And that's just one of the best ways to just let them choose, you know, and then whoever is creating the, the palette, you know, that they can choose the options from, make sure there's a few women on there who can provide a few good inputs, you know, instead of just like, Hey, how about a basketball game or a hockey game? You know? <laughs> right, right. So sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I think, yeah, it's just to not assume, it's just to provide options. Because I think also what I've learned at Crave, especially in our work environment where, um, you know, we're dealing with people with all different sorts of, you know, sexual orientation, genders, you know, and it you just can't assume, okay? Um, and one of the things that we say in our office is that, um, you know, it's totally okay to share, um, but we'll never ask you to share. Well, we'll never say you have to do so-and-so or just give you the you know, the one option to, you know, actually that's no option, but just tell you that this is what you must do. Right. Uh, it's more that we always try to, you know, let our employees um, choose, okay, well, we could go to this food thing or do you want to do this? And then, you know, what do you want to do? Um, and it just, just let, you know, people choose. And I know for small companies, easier for us to say than done because we're so small, whereas a big company, uh, it's even harder. Um, but I think, I think com bigger companies can do a better job of providing options and not just assume like, oh, you're going to love manicures. <laughs> right, right. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, cool. Well, this has been, uh, this has been a lot of fun. I've been, I've enjoyed mm -hmm. kind of hearing your, uh, your whole story with Crave, which is, I think it's just, it's really, really cool to kind of. Thank you. Hear that whole story and, and it's mm -hmm. awesome to hear your success and, uh, uh, I can't wait. I, I'm unfortunately not gonna be able to be out in San Francisco for your show. But um, how so how do people do they buy tickets ahead of time? Or do they, uh, do they just show up? What, what should people do? Where do they go to find out more about the, the women in, in the industrial design show? 
Okay, so um, they can go to our website. We do, um, you know, because we're a nonprofit, so we have a Tumblr site because it's free. It's idwomen.tumblr.com. Um, from there, there's a link to uh, purchase tickets. Uh, early birds tickets are available until May 23rd um, for $10. And then after that, general mission is $15. Um, and at the door is $15. So if you don't plan ahead, you can just show up and it'll just be $15. And that ticket price goes all goes back to the organization um, but you also part of the event um, that includes obviously the gallery viewing, um, free drinks, uh, also really really nice catered um, orders, um, as well as a panel discussion. So um, so yeah, nice. Hopefully people can stop by and check it out. I'm very excited about yeah. this. Yeah, and hopefully it's not going to be the last year or another 20 years until uh, another one of these shows. Oh, I know, I know. So hopefully, I mean, what we're doing is try to um, create templates. And so if other chapters or other sections want to do things like this in other cities, they can. So they just have to reach out to me or the organization. And we have you know everything that we've done so far to pull this event together um, nicely, put together in a folder in Google Drive <laughs> so that uh, this can be easily done again. So, and I definitely hope as well that this is not going to be the last year for another like 20 years yeah yeah i think that i think that would be great and i think uh you know not just the the women but everyone would uh, totally appreciate it so well cool thanks yeah cool thanks t thank you that's our show i want to thank t for being our guest today you can check out the work that she does for her company, Crave, by going to lovecrave.com. That's lovecrave.com. And seriously, go check out the Women in Industrial Design show this Saturday, June 14th at Astro Studios on 348 6th Street. You can subscribe to After School on iTunes. Just go to the iTunes store on your computer or the podcast app on your mobile device and search for Core 77 or After School. And when you're there, if you like what you're hearing, give us a nice review so other people can find us as well. Also on Core 77, we include show notes that link you to all of the stuff you heard us talking about with T. You can follow me and the After School Podcast on Twitter at After School, and you can follow Core 77 on Twitter at Core 77. After School's theme song is Introducing Today by Disco Lobos. I'm Don Lehman. Talk to you soon.